thank you, uh, team, for leading us this morning in worship through music. Uh, good morning, everyone. Also from my side, those of you who are visiting, my name is Jonathan. It's a great privilege for me to not just share the sermon with us this morning, but also to, together with a group of elders, be um, able to lead this congregation. And we believe God has called us for a very specific thing. We believe we're a disciple-making family. And therefore, our primary focus is to make disciples. Each one of us should be followers of Jesus and help others follow Jesus to become the men and women that God created us to be and to walk in the purpose that God has destined for us and in such a way, honor God. Not just in this moment, not just on a Sunday, but in our everyday walk. And ultimately, we believe it should never just end with us. We're not just here to build a name for ourselves. We want to see God, being His fame and His glory being spread throughout the world. And therefore, from our discipleship, we believe God wants to do something in this church that impacts the world. But it starts with us being willing to go, follow Jesus. Now walk in relationship with other people to see His kingdom come in my life. So from my side, thank you for joining us this morning. Um, as you heard, we're busy with a specific series called Set Apart. Now, to introduce our specific topic for this morning, I want to share um, a bit, uh, something to my, um, what do you call it, to my detriment this morning with you. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I injured my knee um, fairly badly. Now, those of you who are married would know there's one thing worse than man flu. And that's when you're physically, when men can't do what they want to do. So eventually, Lindry bullied me to go to the doctor because um, the doctor had to not just fix my knee, but fix my attitude. Um, and the good news from my visit from the doctor was that there was no apparent obvious signs or reasons that is causing the injury. That's fantastic news. The difficult thing about this uh, prognosis is that because there's no obvious sign and problem and solution to the cause, it's difficult to diagnose it. It's difficult to treat it. It's difficult to fix what is wrong if you don't know what's the problem. It's difficult to treat any condition if you don't know what's the cause of that condition. It's difficult to give uh, an answer in maths if you don't understand the problem that's presented to you. It's difficult to fix something if you don't know what is causing the brokenness. Uh, a week or so ago, we were at an event where Harry and Wendy was also there, and Harry was sharing with us how they had some car adventures in Africa. And Harry would share how the car would break down and the creative ways that they would fix the car to be able to drive wherever they had to go. And as I'm listening to Harry, I'm just in awe of uh, the great adventures that they had. But I also realized that I would be in deep, deep trouble if I were to travel with a car in Africa. Because it would break down. And it's not that I won't be able to fix it, I just don't know what would need to be fixed. Harry could fix the car, could get the car to work because he knew what was the problem. And I know there's some men judging me in this moment. <laughs> but let's be honest, that's why most of us take our car to a mechanic when it's broken. We don't know what causes the problem. It's difficult to fix something when you don't understand the problem. 
And it's the same for the human condition. If we look at the world, I'm sure most of us would agree something is broken in humanity. Something is wrong with the human condition. But how do we fix something if we don't know what's wrong? How can we address the human condition if we don't know what is the cause of the problem? This whole series set apart is about a, a biblical view of holiness. And last week we started with the foundation of holiness, which is God is holy. And we concluded because God is holy, His holiness demands a response from us. If we say, this is our God, we cannot live nominal lives. Our lives need to be set apart. It needs to look different. And we said, the way we live, our personal holiness, is grounded in what we believe about the holiness of God. The way we view the holiness of God determines how we live. Today we're going to continue with this theme of holiness. And we're going to speak about why is it necessary that we do a whole series on holiness. What causes us not to have holiness in our lives? What's the problem that keeps us from living lives that honor God? What causes us to resist living a life that reflects something of the holiness of God? What keeps us from living a life that is set apart for God? And we're going to do this by looking at a very specific scripture, the scripture that's part of the foundation of our Christian story, foundation of, of what we understand is the story of the Bible. And we're going to read from Genesis 3. And before we do this, let's, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that throughout the ages your word has been preserved in such a way that it's not just um, knowledge and wisdom that we can read about, but that it is something that is still um, so relevant and impactful in our lives today. And Lord, I pray that as we read this this morning, that you would by your spirit come and, and enlighten your word, that it would not just be more knowledge and wisdom but it will be something that penetrates our hearts and our souls, that it will be your words that speak to us and that you would guide us in your truth. Ultimately, Lord, that we will know your truth and walk in your truth in such a way that it will honor you. We submit ourselves under the authority of your word this morning and we ask by your spirit, may you guide us in your truth. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, whenever we read about a familiar story, we tend to lose some of the detail about it. It's our natural tendency to go, ah, I know this story. And if you grow up in church, you know the story that's happening in Genesis 3. In fact, you know the story of Genesis 1, 2, and 3 very well. It's one of the primary um, foundations of our faith. But I want to encourage us this morning that as we read this story, we're going to unpack it and, and dismantle what's happening here. And hopefully we'll find different insights if we're willing to go beyond our familiarity. What is happening in Genesis 3? It's important that before we read this, we understand that Genesis 
was never written with the intent to give a detailed factual account of the creation of the universe. If this is your understanding of Genesis, that the purpose behind Genesis is to give a detailed factual account of the creation of the universe, you will be disappointed. You will ask questions of the book of Genesis that Genesis was never meant to answer. The book of Genesis was written to the Israelites to introduce them to God, to teach them who is God. See, the ancient world wanted to know who created, who's this God, and why God created. They weren't concerned with the how, when, or where. So when this book of Genesis was written, it was written to introduce people to this is the creator. This is God, and this is why he created. In Genesis 1 and 2, we read about the creation, or the creator. And we see that God created out of nothing. Tells us something about his holiness, his almighty power. Then what he created was good. God blessed what he created and said it was good. God then created man, or mankind, in his image, and he gave them purpose and authority. God said, go and spread my image throughout the world. Rule and govern this world in line with my world. So mankind was created in the image of God in this good place that God created, given a purpose and identity to fulfill. And God provided for them everything they needed. I know we're familiar with the story, but can you for a moment think what Eden was like? No cares, no concerns, no sin, no hatred, no discrimination, no envy. Absolute contentment, having everything you need. No need to make a name for yourself. There's already purpose. You're already known. Everything was provided for man, what was needed. And then God blessed them. This is the backdrop for Genesis 3. So let's read together. Now the serpent was more crafty than any wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may, eat from, uh, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. We know the story. The serpent is portrayed as the enemy, as a Satan. Later in the Bible, we find out this is Satan trying to entice the woman. And there's a specific strategy behind his conversation with Eve. Listen what he does. Listen how he tries to deceive her. He said to the woman, did God really say? First form of temptation that mankind faced is, did God really 
say. He questions God's word. Is it true? And then he goes on and he says, you must not eat from any tree in the garden. This is not true. He's twisting the words of God. He's twisting the, the truth of God. God said you can eat on about, uh, of any tree in the garden. A pot. So Satan comes and he twists trees in the middle. So Satan comes and he twists the word of God. Is it true that God said you cannot eat any tree? He brings confusion. He brings a half-truth. And a half-truth is still a lie. And he entices her with a lie. And then he goes, you will certainly not die. He flat out calls God a liar. Did God say? Then he twists the word of God, and then he calls God a liar. You will not die. See, what he's doing in this moment, he makes her question God's character. Question God's word, question God's character. You will not die. For God knows that when you eat from, its, um, eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Questions God's word, questions God's character. And now, what he goes, he mis- minimizes obedience to God. God knows. If you eat about the, of this tree, it will not be that bad. He encourages disobedience. He tells her there's something in it to disobey God. There's something that you will gain in your disobedience. And he still does it with each one of us today. He minimizes the effects of sin in our lives. And he says there's something you will gain that you need if you're willing to disobey God. Sin is not that bad. This is what he's saying. There's something in it for you that you will gain. And by saying that God knows, he's implying that God is withholding something from them that is good. God is holding out on you. God is keeping something from you that will be good for you that you need. You will be like God. I find it ironic that he lures them with this false promise, you will be like God, when they are already made in the image of God. Can you for a moment think, questions the word of God, the character of God, then you hear that God is holding out and that disobeying God will not be that bad. There's actually something for you to gain in it. And then tell you, you will be like God, knowing that you are already created in the image of God. Something that we need to learn from this. I believe most sin starts with discontentment. 
They are made in the image of God, and now there's a promise that you will be like God. They are already created in holiness. They have everything they need, and this idea you will be something more entices them. Sin starts with discontentment in our hearts when we think we deserve more and want more. This is the enemy's strategy. And his strategy hasn't changed. It's still the same for us today. He wants us to question God's character. He wants us to question God's word. And ultimately, when we question God's character and his word, it leads us to a very specific question. Is God good? Can God be trusted? This is the tension that Adam and Eve faces in this moment. Can God be trusted? Is God good? Because if he's good and he said we shouldn't do it, then we should trust him that we shouldn't go there. That whatever his reason might be that we shouldn't do this, his reason is good, his purpose is good, his character is good, his word is good, and I trust it even though I don't understand it. But what if God is not good? Can we really trust that when he says don't, that it's for our own benefit? Can we really trust that even though I might think whatever I'm going to gain from this might be good for me, God knows that it won't? Can God be trusted? This is the decision that Eve is facing. Will she trust God or not? Is God good and can God be trusted is a decision that all of us face daily. Is his intentions good? Is he really faithful? Does he really want relationship with you? Does God really want to be involved in your life? Does God really care about your future? Does God really care about what's happening in your family, in your life, in your workspace? Will God come through? Where's God? See, if the enemy can get us to doubt God, we will be susceptible to trusting anything else. If we don't trust God, we'll be susceptible to trust anything else than God. Adam and Eve, like all of us, were given the gift of the ability to choose. The freedom to choose is a gift. In order to love, you must be able to choose to love. Otherwise, it's just compulsion. <laughs> Lack of choices. But God gives Adam and Eve the freedom to choose in order that they may love him back. For you to love, you must be able to choose not to love. And they are given this decision. So when faced with the question, can God be trusted? It's a decision based on love. And they have to decide, will they trust God and submit to his will 
and choose to obey him and live out the purpose that he's placed in their lives or not. Now, fortunately, we know the story. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Men, if you were hoping to blame the woman after this sermon, we were right there. We did nothing. In many instances, men are still seeing the atrocities of this world and do nothing. But Eve looked at the fruit and she determined it was good for food, pleasing for the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom. Remember, they already had everything they need. And then she took some and she ate it. She acted on what she determined was good. She acted on her desire and she did what was right in her own eyes. And in doing so, she decided to trust herself. I will find out for myself if what God said is true. I will trust myself. I will take my chances myself. Because if God cannot be trusted, who else is there to trust? You. See, if we doubt in God's character and His word, if we can't trust Him, who else will you trust? You. This is what Eve does. She did what was right in her own eyes. And by trusting themselves, they chose to live independently from God. This is the problem of the human condition. Out of the discontent of our hearts, we choose to live independently from God by doing what is right in our own eyes. If you want to find a summary of what's wrong with the human condition, I believe Genesis 3 teaches us this. Out of the discontent of our hearts, we choose to live independently from God, to put our trust in something else, in ourselves, in money, in other people, security of a job, and we do what is right in our eyes. See, all of us in one way or another strive for independence. All of us want to live free from the constraints and boundaries of the things that keeps us back. We subtly believe that freedom is found in the ability to do whatever you want. Imagine if parents just gave their toddlers freedom the ability to do whatever they want. And yet, we believe that's freedom. We believe God's words, His restrictions, His boundaries on what's permissible, His shackles that keeps us from living free. We think the ability to do what is right in my own eyes, that's true freedom. There's a subtle belief 
that safety and stability is found in power and control. If we can just control everything and everyone around us, then we feel safe. We do what's right in our own eyes. And in some way or another, all of us have failed to completely trust God. All of us have failed in trusting God. And our independence is evidenced by our anxious lifestyles. If you want to know, am I really trusting God? Our lack of trusting God is evidenced in our anxious lifestyles. I heard someone say once, anxiety is what it feels like to mistrust, mistrust God with the things we care about most. It's when we don't trust God that anxiety sprouts in our heart. So we need to ask the question, what is making you anxious? What is causing anxiety in your life? Because that might be the area where you're not trusting God. See, in a sense, it's easy to trust God when everything is going well. If you started this year and you're healthy, you have a great financial here lying ahead of you. There's no needs. There's no um, thing that's challenging you. Then it's easy to trust God. It's easy to sing worship songs. God, you are good. You are faithful. We love you. It's different when you're anxious. It's different to trust God when the world is not the way you, you would like it to be. Do you trust God when the budget doesn't work out and the expenses pile up? Do you trust God when there's not enough in your bank account? Do you trust God when the prognosis is not good and your health is at risk? Is God then still good? Do you trust God when your future is unclear and uncertain. When you start this year and you don't know how the end of the year is going to look like. Do you trust God? Is He good? Do you trust God when strategy, tragedy of life strikes? Is He still good? Do you trust God when loneliness knocks at your door of your heart? Do you trust God when you have no control over the actions and decisions of your children that you love? And when do you trust God when he asks you to do something that doesn't make sense for you at all? God says, give, serve, go, share. Is God still good? This was the challenge from the enemy and the beginning and the creation of the world towards the first humans. Is God good? It's still a strategy today. And he'll whisper in our ears, God is holding out. Did God really say, where is God? And there's a tension that all of us face. Can I trust God?
can't trust God, who will you trust? See, all of us in some way or another have failed to completely trust God. The prophet Isaiah explains it like in this. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. See, choosing not to trust God, to do what is right in our own eyes, made us live independently from God. We have gone astray. We've turned to our own ways. See, choosing not to trust God did not just um, create anxiety for mankind. It did something far, far worse. Their decision to live independently from God made them lose their holiness. Sin entered the world and affected everything. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed thick leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from God. The Creator, the one that blessed them, that gave everything, provided for them, suddenly they're hiding from him, hiding from his love. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? Their decision to do what is right in their own eyes, to live independently from God, not to trust God anymore, not to submit to Him, caused them to lose their holiness. They were created in the image of God, meaning they were holy. And this loss of holiness brought separation between them and God. They lost their innocence. Suddenly they know what evil is. Up until this point, they didn't know sin. They didn't know hatred. They didn't know evil. And suddenly their eyes are open. Death entered the world because of sin. Spiritual death, relational death, and physical death. And the world will, for the rest of its existence, face the devastating effects of sin. This is a broken world. They lost the image of God because sin entered their hearts and they were not representing an accurate picture of the holiness of God. They weren't holy anymore. They lost the image of God. They lost the purposes of God because they weren't seeking His purposes. They were seeking their own purposes. They lost His image, His purpose, and ultimately they lost relationship with God. This is what causes anxiety in our lives. When we live independently from God. This is the human condition. If I had to ask the question at the beginning of the sermon, what causes the problem? Most of us, if we grew up in church, would say sin. But do we really understand what is sin? Sin is deliberately choosing not to trust God. To do what is right in your own eyes. To live independently. And all of us have done this. But God. 
for a moment, can we, can we imagine? No, 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 we can't really do this, but can we imagine putting ourselves in the shoes of God? He created this great creation. It was good. He provided everything for human needs. He gave them purpose. He gave them something to live for. He provided all their physical needs. He loved them well. He created them in the image. Why? So that they may experience Him. That they will experience the Almighty Creator, live from relationship. That they will experience, remember, holiness, absolute, pure love motive. That they can live in that place and then God bless them. And what did they go? They go and say, you're not good. Scripture says, when the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God. This was not a gentle breeze in the wind. God came down in his holiness. And they were afraid. Because they rejected this holy God. And in not trusting him, they said, you're not good. The created said to the creator, we're better off apart from you. Imagine what God could have done. Imagine God just going, okay, listen, I'll start over. Imagine how God could have dealt with them. But God called to the man, where are you? I love this. It's not that God doesn't know where they are. It's not that God is playing hide and seek with them. Come out, come out, wherever you are. The Almighty God knows exactly what's happened. And He comes down in His holiness and He asks Adam and Eve, where are you? He called out to the man. Where are you? Stop hiding. We see something about the nature and character of God in this simple moment. Where are you? See, God not only initiated life, but He's also the one that seeks us and initiates restoration. Immediately, God's first response is to initiate restoration. Where are you? Come here. Come to me. God is seeking them as he's seeking each one of us. But then God asks these questions. Where are you? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? God already knew the answer, so why is he asking them these questions? See, in asking these questions, God was giving them the opportunity to confess. And confession is the first action towards reconciliation. In asking them questions, God was extending mercy to them. And they could just respond and say, this is what we did. We're sorry. Confession 
It's the first step to restoration. But we know what happens. Adam goes, this woman, please go and read it. Try and read his tone of voice. He goes to God and he says, this woman that you gave me made me eat. wasn't me, God. It was her fault, and technically, you gave her to me. You're not good. Instead of repenting and turning confessing, Adam continued to build on the lie that he already believed. You're not good. It's actually your fault. Where are you? It's God calling out to you this morning. Beginning of 2024. Where are you? See, we look at this account in Genesis 3. And we see how the fruit of one tree in the middle of the Garden of Eden looked good. And it looked as if it would bring something good. But in fact, it brought death and independence to God. The story of Genesis 3 tells us how people chose to trust themselves instead of God. But in that moment when God calls out, where are you? God is already seeing another tree. Another tree that would not be planted in the middle of the garden, but another tree that will be planted in the middle of humanity. And although we might look at this tree and only see death, this will be the tree that if we eat from this tree, we will find life. What the tree in the garden of Eden represented, God changed on the tree of the cross. The tree that seemed to brought life and independence and freedom will bring death. But the tree that seems to bring only death will give life. 1 Peter 2. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. God restores the righteousness, the holiness to us by Christ. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What happened in the Garden of Eden, God changed on the cross on Kolkata. And the question is still the same. Where are you? See, Jesus took the sin of this world upon himself. He dealt with it on the cross. And in order to restore us back into relationship with God, back into holiness, back into his image, back into his purposes, and the cross turns our anxiety into faith. Because now we're not in control. God's in control. 
And the reality might still be true. I still don't know how this year is going to look. I still don't know what's lying ahead in the future. But I'm not in control. I choose to say, God, I trust you. You are good. And my faith is in you. The cross is God's megaphone to the world that asks, where are you? Come closer. How do we eat from the fruit of this tree? Where are you? Our response leads to look different than Adam's response. How do we eat from this fruit? We turn to God and we confess. I need you, Lord. We confess. I've lived independently. I've made a mistake. Didn't trust you. I followed my own desires. I did what is right in my own eyes. I lived from the discontent of my heart. I'm sorry. Repentance is the first step to restoration. And then we choose to trust God. put our faith in him, we say, God, you are good. Help me to follow you. Help me to trust you. Help me to live according to your will and not according to my will. Strengthen me to trust you in those moments where I really feel weak. Help me to do the right thing, to live a holy life. But I trust you. You are good. Even when the whole world screams out, you're not even when the enemy comes and entices me and says that you won't, I choose to say you're good. Because it's seen on the cross. You're not just good because of what I've experienced. You're good because of what you've done on the cross. That's the megaphone of this world that says, where are you? Let's close our eyes. See, our holiness is lost when out of the discontent of our hearts we choose to live independently from God doing what is right in our own eyes but God is still seeking us and this morning is a moment for us to, to turn to Him it's a moment for us to say God there's certain things in my life that's making me anxious and I realize it's things that I'm not trusting you it's a moment to confess it's a moment to declare your trust in Him. So I want us to give us an opportunity just for personal prayer. There where you're sitting this morning. And Father, as we seek you in this moment, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. I pray that you would show us what's the areas where we're not trusting you, areas where we've gone astray, areas where we've followed our own desires and our own hearts. We've done what we felt was good. And if God is showing you something, if you, if you just feel in your heart, there's an area in your life that you're not 
trust in God. This is your moment to confess and return to Him. If you feel God is calling you this morning, God is saying, where are you? Where are you, Peter? Where are you, Cindy? Where are you, Susan? If you feel God is calling to you this morning and there's an area of your life that you've not been trusting Him, that you've been living independent, I want us to pray into that. And I want you to just open your hands in front of you. Just as a sign, a physical declaration, God, I'm surrendering, I'm handing over. And as you're doing this, I would want to pray for us and encourage you to pray with me. Yes. Lord, this morning we recognize that we are not exempted from the effects of sin in this world. We recognize that there's areas where we've chosen to follow the desires of our hearts, to do what is right in our own eyes. Areas where we've taken control that we should never have taken control. Areas where we've subtly believed that you will not come through. Areas where we've believed that you are not good, Lord. And Lord, we've taken control. We stopped trusting you. And in this moment, Lord, we're turning to you again, Lord, and we ask that you would forgive us. Forgive us for the independence that we live with. But Lord, thank you that, that you dealt with this independence on the cross. Thank you that there was a tree that you dealt with sin. And Lord, this morning we're turning to you and we say, God, we believe that you are good. That nothing is impossible for you, Lord. Would you forgive our independence? And with open hands in front of you, Lord, we say, God, we surrender anxiety. We surrender our control. We surrender our future, our fears. And we say we trust you. Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to love you well, to trust you well? Would you help us to find peace in knowing you? Would you help us to live in faith and not in fear? Because Lord, this morning again, we turn to you and we declare, we believe that you are good. Thank you for what you've already done. And Lord, would you help us to live a holy life trusts you and glorifies you in all circumstances. This is our desire. We pray this in your name. All of us say, Amen. I'm going to hand over to Yaku, who's going to conclude our service for us this morning. But I want to encourage you, if you felt this morning that you've never really trusted God with your whole life, uh, there's an opportunity for, for you after the service. Would you come here in the front? We would love to pray with you and help you solidify that decision to follow Jesus. But also this week of fasting, Yaku so brilliantly explained the heart behind fasting. It's a week where we set aside the things that's important for us and we say, God, we trust you. We seek you. If you feel that God is calling you to live not independently from you, I want to encourage you, fast with us this week. Seek God.
and live in dependence on him. Thank you, Yaakov.